Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. Welcome back to Urban Foundry's Weekly Shorts. Today is November 30th of 2022. I'm here with my co-host, Paige O'Neill. Hi, welcome back, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So you survived the travels. Traveling with two under two, which... Today, I can officially no longer stay because my oldest is second birthday. Oh, wow. So I survived eight and a half months with two under two. That's right. Finally at the two mark. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get better. I'll tell you that. No, she's a diva already. (laughs) Yeah. It's not looking good. Leo's turns three in April. Yeah. I've heard three is worse than two. It is. I can already tell. Yeah. Because two and a half is way worse than two. Yeah. They really start getting mouthy with their demands. Yeah. But speaking of which, kids, holiday season, we have a few interesting news articles on Black Friday. So Paige, what did you find? I feel like I'm going to geek out in this weekly short because this this was my (laughs) world for 12 years. That's right. It's the only, the second holiday season that I was not working retail. So I was able to enjoy Thanksgiving. But apparently everyone and their mom went shopping for Black Friday weekend. That's right. That's right. Everyone's trying to get those deals to beat inflation. So what did you find? Um, I found an interesting article that said a record number of holiday shoppers returned to stores this year. In store physically. In stores. What do you think's driving that? The fact that people have been home for two years and they're ready to get out of their sweatpants and... Go buy new sweatpants at Louis (laughs) $30 a piece. Yeah. I think I've always been a believer of the touch and the feel of the clothing and seeing the in-store experience, especially at the holiday time, because the stores are decorated, the energy for the most part from the salespeople is up and it's a good vibe all around. Now, every time there's a good vibe, you're going to have that Karen-esque type of (laughs) customer. But I think people are craving that interaction, that shopping experience that was 2019. Well, do you think too, I mean, I go to stores recently, I don't know if you went this week but I didn't go to any stores this weekend, I think. No, I didn't. But overall, recently in stores, I feel like at least in, you know, kind of brick and mortar retail, it seems like some of the supply chain stuff has kind of worked itself out too. Yeah. I would. I was in St. Armand's Circle this past weekend and this little shop owner was talking about how she sold through half of her inventory, but she has a full stock room in the back that she still has to unbox and pack but she was excited because she had merchandise to show everyone. Right. So it's not, you know, here's things from two seasons ago that we finally got in. It's kind of settling back into the norm, Hmm. I would say. I wonder what, you know, and it's probably too early to tell, but what the mix of goods is, right? So I know durable goods orders came out, numbers hit the street last week, overall durable goods orders staying strong. So these are things like appliances, Mm -hmm. hard goods. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see, you know, the mix of, you know, apparel, toys, soft goods, and and that, and how that starts to play through. Yeah. And I, and I wonder, you know, from a price point standpoint, the, the recurring message has been high end, high, high ends doing really well, low ends doing really well, but the middle's kind of been middle getting market. squeezed. Yeah. 
I don't know if that's going to continue or not. I don't know. I think, you know, it's interesting because it's at holiday sales rise by from six to 8%. Well, that's inflation. Right. So it's, so what, so the numbers are the same. Right. So it's same volume year over year. Last year was a record year for a lot of retailers. So that's good. The question kind of begs, you know, from a brick and mortar standpoint, I mean, is this showing and kind of, in your opinion, kind of its relevance again, that we can buy everything online, right? but doesn't mean we really want to. Well, I think it goes to what experience are you looking for? Are you the type of shopper that you have a wedding tonight that you need to wear something to? Well, then you have to have it in the brick and mortar. You can't wait to order online unless it's on Amazon Prime and it can be at your doorstep in three hours. But you have to ask yourself, what kind of shopper are you? What is the experience you want? Do you want to walk out with something today in your hand or do you want to wait a day or two for it to be at your door? And then the returns. Like my husband loves to order things, but then hates to return them. (laughs) So there's lots of lost dollars with lack of returns, which is my biggest pet peeve. (laughs) That's money. (laughs) Like you're a good returner. I've seen you return things that don't work out. Yeah, of course. I'm getting my money back. Yes, I don't like. That's why they have the policy. I'm not a self-made millionaire over here. I don't know what he's doing. Just, just you know, find six chicken nuggets, eating five. I know it's craziness. Just put it back in the box. Hell, eat the, it's one nugget. Just eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I get mad at my kids about that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, think about downtown Indianapolis. There's nowhere to shop. There's nowhere to shop. And it's not that uncommon. I was, remember I was in Cincinnati. I think I might've texted you and I texted my wife. Downtown Cincinnati, the Saks Fifth Avenue was mm-hmm. closing. Mm-hmm. No, was, you didn't text me. I didn't text you. I was you. very annoyed about that. Oh, that's I right. I texted my wife. Order. I didn't text you. Yes. Got it. I I was there and they were, it's a beautiful Saks. You know, granted the interior needed to be probably renovated a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, it was a well laid out, Central CBD, downtown Cincinnati, Saks Fifth Avenue going out a bit. Well, Saks was closing that store down, right? 70% off everything. And it's a common thing I'm seeing in a lot of these, we'll call it middle markets in the Midwest, where downtown retail especially has just gotten obliterated because of the pandemic. Right. And even the big box retail in Indianapolis Circle Center Mall is in some state of future redevelopment yeah right they're they're announcing plans later later potentially this year question goes though i mean nordstrom's didn't renew their lease there and then carson's didn't and that you know so yeah who's going to come in and backfill that right when everyone else failed under under uh, different circumstances right and i think about that how nice of a convenience factor is and having lived in other bigger cities the fact that you can be like oh i'm in you know i'm in midtown i can Mm -hmm. just up over and right. Fifth Avenue and I can get something for my wife or for my mom for a birthday because I forgot. You can't do that here in Indianapolis. No. Or, you know, we, we've talked about it like because you and I are cut from the same cloth yeah. as far as retail therapy goes. Yeah. And you can't just go shopping on your lunch break to get that high <laughs> and get yeah. your mind off After the shit day, day you've had. <laughs> I worked in New York. I just, I'd go shopping. Right. I go to Barney's. Right. Barney's doesn't exist anymore. Barney's is awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the other extreme of how people who do have these littler, littler, (laughs) smaller retail stores, how they're operating them. Yeah. Because you went with me Mm -hmm. because I had to pick up an order from a local menswear store called James Dant in Indianapolis. So shout out James Dant. They carry an amazing collection of raw 
denim from Japan, US, really cool makers, very kind of very niche but very neat. And, and they have a really loyal following. Interesting, they're appointment only. I know. And I was so bummed because since I moved back to Indianapolis, I have not actually been in that store yet. So I went with you, we're standing out in the parking lot, and all I wanted to do was barge through the door past the owner and be like, please let me come in and spend my money. Yeah. And it wasn't going to happen. No, appointment only. Appointment only, but your overhead cost goes down dramatically. And in a way, it's a way to qualify. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, average person going in there, they go, wow, these are expensive prices, but- you're getting quality craftsmanship, you know, things that are going to last a lifetime. That, I think your theft will go way down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to right. probably zero. You don't have to pay as many employees because they're essentially going to pay for themselves with their sales per hour. Right. Well, and they have a big e-commerce right. uh, piece. So while employees are in between appointments, they're filling orders in that back room. Right. And it's an interesting model. And when he first did it, I've been a kind of a loyal customer for a couple of years. I remember when he could just walk in and it was great. And then COVID happened and then it was appointment only. And then I'd go in there and I think I spend more. I really do. I think I spend, I, I'm embarrassed to say what the amount is every single time, but it's it's a material number Yeah, because you go in there and you're all by yourself. Right. You kind of get multiple associates. They're all helping out. Do they have a bar? Do they have a liquor they license? Have, they do not have a liquor license, but they have like a couch area. It's very comfortable, very cozy, mm-hmm. and they're super knowledgeable. Yeah. And so you could say, hey, I saw this. Like, what do you have? They're like, oh, I I bought this pair of jeans. It's it's They're not traditional denim. They're done with this kasubi uh, weave from Japan that they make kimonos out of. Hmm. It was really cool. I would never have bought it online. Right. But I saw it in person, tried it on, and I was just blown away at the craftsmanship and the quality and how different and unique it was. And online, I would have been like, no way I'm spending that for something right. I don't. So that seen. goes back to the experience. Right. You wanted that in person experience. You wanted someone to wow you, and you got that, and then you spent money. Yeah. So, what kind of shopper? You're an in person shopper. Mm-hmm. 100%. But the, the problem is, is how do you justify downtown retail when? workers are not in the office. Right. You know, how do you create enough of a draw, enough of experience so that people out in the suburbs come in to downtowns and actually shop there? Yeah. I mean, I just think too, it's such a miss for Hotel Indie, Bottle Works, all, all these cool new boutique hotels downtown that when they get filled up, where are these people going to go shopping? Because I wouldn't, no offense, I would not step foot in Circle Center. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's A, there's the vacancy is very high, but then B, you know, what they do have, because the vacancy is so high, you know, it's not necessarily, like, there's some basic necessities, like, if you need a gap. Right. Right. There's, right. There's something like that, right? You're the in a airport lost conference. My, my luggage, I have to go get some basics. Or it's That's colder than story. I thought it is, or right. it's hotter than I thought it right. is. You could get by, right? But you're not going there going, hey, that would be a lot of fun. Right. Right. So I came to Indianapolis with my husband who was traveling here for work. He's at business meetings. I'm going to go shopping. Am if, I? <laughs> you are, but you're getting on a 40 minute Uber. Right. Right. To go up to the fashion mall. Right. So interesting. Here's another one. Printemps, famous French department stores opening their first department store in the United States in lower Manhattan. That is a commitment. A big bet mm-hmm. on retail yeah. returning in a downtown setting. Now, I think Manhattan behaves differently than a place like Indianapolis. Yes. 
just sheer number of residents and things like that and disposable income, you can get away with a lot of things. Right. But it is interesting that they're willing to start making that bet now. Yeah. And that's from a rent standpoint, that's a big bet. Yeah. Well, you know, StockX, one of our clients, we renewed them in Soho recently Mm -hmm. for their retail experience. Gensler redesigned that store. And so there's a lot of brands right now, I think, from a retail real estate standpoint, looking and making some bets that they're seeing in the data. And it sounds like the Black Friday data is showing people want to have an experience, but they, they, they need, but it needs to be fresh. It needs to be new. It needs to be different. It needs Mm -hmm. to be dynamic. It can't be the same old, right? but it'll be successful. Well, I think people are tired again. They're tired of wearing sweatpants, but they, but also I don't, I, I mean, I lived this world for 12 years. I have no idea what, how to dress anymore. Roles are different. Like what is where to work? Depends. It, it definitely depends. It could be shorts or, and your new balances, depending on who you ask in our office. <laughs> we won't name names. <laughs> we won't but. name names, but you know who you are. Um, <laughs> it's just all the rules have changed. It's kind of, it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, in, in said, a way, it, there's a balancing yeah. that goes into it, right? Because it's more egalitarian. And I think people desire less hierarchy and less formality and rigidity. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, I think it's probably, at least for me, it's more cumbersome every day to like figure out like, oh, do I have a meeting? Do I not? Right. What if someone calls me and I need to go run somewhere? Right. And I'd prefer just to wear a suit and tie every day because I don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about it. I th- it also depends on, I believe, where you're at in your personal life with work. So if you're someone who's been in this industry for 45 years and you're on your way out, you're used to seeing things a certain way. So if you see a newly graduated kid from college coming to work in bell-bottom jeans and sneakers and a crop top, I don't know if that's right, but is wearing a full three-piece suit right either. You look funny either way. I know. So how do you I mean... It, it all goes back. That balance. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. I have. And how do you manage that balance? I don't know. As it's like really an tough. HR. Yikes. Yeah. Well, then we'll see what happens as people come back to the office. I know a lot of people in, in other areas, you know, in general, the trend has been deformalization. Right. Right. You know, there's some people that predicted, but we'll reformalize because of the deformalization. And I'm sure that's true to an extent. Like, yeah fashions come and go and yeah. trends change. But I, I don't know if we're really going to be back in traditional business attire. I don't think we will be. And I don't think that's a a bad thing. People probably get more work done when they're more comfortable. Yeah. January 1st, everyone's, that's like a big date that we keep hearing. Everyone's back to the office, office, January 1st, January 1st. It's almost across the board. Yeah. So we'll see what happens when people come back and what they want to wear. Right. It's interesting. So shifting focus a little bit, we're talking about money, but we'll talk about global real estate funding. So this is the amount raised for investment funds. It is down by a third of 2021's volume. So meaning global capital markets are rotating to different asset classes again for the first time in a long time. Over the last 10 years of my career in commercial real estate, as well as investment management, there was a huge shift Mm -hmm. from traditional fixed income securities and other types of structured finance, these private equity vehicles and high net worth investors, because interest rates after the Great Recession were so low, they started pivoting into commercial real estate that offered much better yields with similar risk profile. Now, interest rates go back up. That means bonds, derivatives, things like that are yielding a more attractive rate and in some cases, risk-free or, or lower risk profiles for a more attractive, consistent yield. We're seeing some shift away from that. 
In addition, we're seeing decreases in investment, particularly in office, which impacts urban real estate more acutely. You know, honestly, we sold a number of office buildings this year downtown in Indianapolis. You know, overall, we saw a lot of activity for the development sites for conversion opportunities, but for stabilized or, you know, kind of value add potential, much more difficult. You know, investor appetite is not strong, very risk off as people figure out what happens with return to office. Right. But we're also seeing in aggregate less capital flowing into commercial real estate compared to last year, which was a record year, of course. So right. Even a third still healthy. It's not zero. Yeah. But it's, it's, 50, showing, it's 50 billion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's just into funds. Right. Right. So that's not aggregate market. Obviously, it's much larger than that. So we're not seeing necessarily everything halt, but it is an interesting dynamic that we're seeing liquidity begin to shift. And so, you know, part of that is development projects have become difficult to finance, to make sense of the numbers. We're seeing that here in Indianapolis, where there's a number of big projects that are kind of looming or in in the pipeline. And within the last couple months, they've gotten insanely more difficult to pencil. Right. Um, We'll see. The other thing that was interesting that caught my attention is related to urban real estate in a lot of ways, but kind of indirectly. So Tishman Spear, who is a very well-known, they were a developer of you know Hudson Yards. They actually formed a dedicated industrial real estate vehicle with the Japanese bank uh, Mitsui Fudosan, who we, we've done some deals with in Japan, actually. And it's interesting to see some of the big traditional office players begin to continue. Now, Tishman had industrial interest before. They had gotten into it over the last few years. But traditionally, they're seen as a New York, Manhattan, Class A+, plus office developer owner. Mm-hmm. Right? And the fact that we're seeing more and more of them begin to make big bets into industrial away from office assets right. is kind of telling. So the writing on the wall. And I think there's going to be, you know, we've been talking a lot about this is what's the impact five years from now, seven years from now for inventories, things like that, because investment's been directed and a lot of players have kind of moved out of the space or kind of pulled back a little bit. So, and the last one is a great podcast. I wanted to highlight for every one of our listeners. It's, it's on the Freakonomics radio. So if you're familiar with the Freakonomics, they, they basically, it's a, it's a university of Chicago PhD in economics. Mm -hmm. And he, he writes very, very, how will I put this? He writes about very complex economic theories in a very relatable, understandable way for the layman. Got it. And so they do have a podcast. It's called Freakonomics Radio. And this episode is entitled The Unintended Consequences of Working from Home. So it's really good listen. Yeah. And just for a quick quill of notes, I promise I won't spoil it yeah. for the audience. <laughs> now I want to listen to it. But it talks about things like career progression, mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion, and manager visibility that things you can't replicate in a virtual environment. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of statistics behind visibility with your manager and your ability to get promotions and raises. I was just having this conversation with Scott's dad. Yeah. Well, he's older generation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he's very much like, yes, the visibility is important. Image is important. Those things. If I like the person. Right. But what if you have an all-star employee who is great at their job is in constant communication with you, but works from home. Well, here's here's kind of the reality that I, I kind of picked up on. So in my career, I worked under a bunch of GE executives and we all of our performance reviews were done via the pie method. So 70% is your actual performance. 20% is your image in the company. 
And the last 10% is based on your exposure to senior leadership, right? So you can score really high in 70%, but still not get the highest mark. Right. Because those other things mattered from an executive development standpoint. Right. Right. And the, the reality is, is you can do some of that on Zoom calls, but having that presence or that ability to collaborate with peers, collaborate with people, maybe are peers to your boss and it, do good work. And a lot of the times there's informality because of being physically present. People will say things like, hey, so-and-so did a really great job. Thank you for having Paige work on that project with so-and-so on my team. Right. Turned out really great. Yeah. And you have that informal moment that leads to an impression. And then on top of it, I think naturally there's a bias towards people that you see every day. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. There just is. Yeah. I don't think we can replicate that. And then a lot of knowledge work, let's be honest, there's not a tangible output. You know, it's not like, you know, you're making widgets and right. you can say, well, that person made 20 widgets and that person made 19 widgets. Therefore, the 20 person widget person is the better employee. Well, they're more productive. I don't know if they're better. Correct. Correct. And so things like collaboration, cultural fit. Right. And then on top of it, you know, being able to position yourself for promotion opportunities, I think is, I don't know how you do that in a virtual environment. But maybe I think that's where you have to go back to the individual employee because maybe they're okay with being stagnant. That's, that's a really good point. Maybe they are okay with just doing their job, that quiet quitting that we've, ta- we've talked about, we've heard yeah. about. They're okay with doing the bare minimum, with getting paid, with having a happier work-life balance. They're okay. So maybe they don't want to get promoted. Yeah, that's true. Every organization they, you need. Yeah, you, you need, need rank, those people. Call them rank and file. Right. They're doers. They're doing it. Let that's them be. It. Yeah, let them be. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're important. They're important piece of every organization. And maybe some of that's cultural, but we'll have to see how that plays out. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more and more Harvard Business Review case studies I get to dive into and read some really interesting data on what the impacts are. Can't wait to share my input. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paige, anything else? I don't think so. Well, All right. Well, that's it for November 30th, 2022. Thanks for listening to Urban Foundry. Thank you to our executive producer and audio wizard, Chris Spangle at leadersandlegends.net. Also, thank you to my co-host and producer, Paige O'Neill. And finally, thank you to Colliers International for providing us space to use as our recording studio in downtown Indianapolis. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.